Bibles to the book of Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. Last week, last Sunday evening, I started a series entitled The Puzzle of Pain. I said uh, then that we'll take about uh, probably a total of six weeks looking at the subject, but to introduce it, I spoke last week about the reality of trials and no way out of it. Uh, we can't escape. We better learn to endure because there's no way out. That's reality. We talked a little bit about the range of our trials. They can take many different forms and they can be in many different degrees of severity. So it might be physical. It might be uh, emotional or spiritual, and can we can be affected in a lot of different ways. We talked about the reason for our trials. Not that we have the answer for all of the reasons, but we just tried to establish the fact that there is always a reason. It's never just helder-skelder, you know, just something uh, arbitrarily bestowed upon us, but there's a reason behind it, and just knowing that is a great encouragement. We talked about a little bit about the reward, and then ended up talking about uh, the remedy for dealing with our trials. And uh, now we're going to just piece by piece try to put the puzzle together so that when we get through, why you'll have a picture as to what this puzzle of pain is all about. I didn't say you'll have all of your questions answered, but it'll certainly bring a lot of different things together that we need to always be aware of. Um, the very moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, we become a child of God. Isn't that great? It's not like we're on probation for a while. It's not like, you know, we receive Christ and the Lord says, all right, I'll give you 30 days or 90 days to to prove your profession, we instantaneously become a child of God. And so, so so far as our relationship with God is concerned, we'll never be any more saved than we are right now. I mean, if we're truly saved, if you've been born again, you've received Christ as your Savior, you're just as certain of heaven as if you were already there. We have been accepted into God's family and regardless of what happens, our standing before God never changes. We've talked about that a little bit last week. Our standing remains the same throughout all of the years of our life. But the fact of the matter is, our state does change. In other words, our condition in this world often changes. The fact that we have eternal security should not in any wise give us a lackadaisical attitude in regards to the manner in which we live our lives. In other words, we have the idea, well, you know, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, and so uh, it really doesn't make any difference. And it makes a difference to God, and that's why the Lord allows us to go through some situations that are difficult and experiences that are painful, things that we would never choose for ourselves. And for that reason, a lot of people have been confused about this, and that's why I've called this this series a puzzle. It's puzzling to them, uh, you know, how a loving God could allow His children to suffer uh, 
such terrible hardships, uh, and, and that's only natural. Some people have the idea, you know, that it's a horrible, terrible thing if we ever ask why. And uh, let me just assure you that it's not. It's one thing to ask why. God allows us to ask the question why, not that he gives us the answers, but there's not anything wrong with asking why. It's when we murmur and complain about not getting an answer. That's when it becomes a real serious problem with us. And so God knows that we're not going to understand all of the reasons why he deals with us as he does. But today, as we start looking at the pieces, the first piece of the puzzle has to do with the matter of growth. I want you to think about pain as it relates to the subject of growth. Whenever we've been born again, we talk about being in God's family. Well, you know, if you have a child born in the family, automatically you expect that child to what? To grow. I mean, that's uh, where there's life. There's, you know, going to be growth. And the same thing's true spiritually. Uh, and uh, so, so don't just assume that it doesn't make any difference to God. And a lot of people have the idea, well, you know, I've already been saved. I know I'm going to heaven. And so I, I'm, I might as well just eat, drink, and be merry and just enjoy life now. And, you know, I, I can just be relaxed because I don't have to worry about my sins. But but that kind of an attitude is is a a terrible injustice against yourself, and and besides that, it violates God's will for your life because God has a plan, and that's why I ask you to turn to Romans chapter eight. Nearly everybody here is familiar with verse twenty eight, right? We know all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. What a wonderful verse that is. And we probably will read that and look at it again before we're through. But I want you to notice verse 29. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice that God's plan for each and every one of his children, his ultimate aim for all believers, is that we be conformed into the image of His Son. And boy, I'll tell you, you talk about uh, uh, having high aspirations. I mean, that's it. To think about God doing a work in our life that will eventually, ultimately, make us as His Son. And we often talk about, you know, going to heaven, getting a glorified body. And, and I mean, just think about that for a little while. You'll remember that even here on earth when the Lord received his glorified body as he was resurrected and he could pass through walls. I mean, you could see him, feel him, touch him. He even, he even eat food, evidently. I mean, amen. They, they ate together. And he was able to do all of that, and yet his body was not subject to material things. I don't understand it. Don't ask me for an explanation. I can't comprehend that. But I know that when we get to heaven, you know, whatever he is, that's what we're going to be like. In fact, John tells us we shall see him as he is. And he says, "For we shall be like him. What a wonderful future. Every child of God has that wonderful future. The problem is... 
that we don't always grow, that is, we don't always develop spiritually as we ought to. And that was the problem, one of the problems, the main problem with the church at Corinth. So turn over a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and here Paul is writing to this church, and he's writing a letter seeking to solve the many problems that uh, they were going through. And this gets to the very heart of the matter as to why there was so much dissension in the church and so much failure in the church because in the earlier part of the chapter he tells them that they were in possession of all of the spiritual gifts but they were not able to use them. In other words, they were not effective even though they had the gifts. And so now we get to the root of the problem. Verse number 1 of chapter 3, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now notice those, those last three words, babes in Christ. Notice the last two words, in Christ. I mean, that that speaks as to their position before God. They are in Christ. They are as saved as anybody could ever be saved. We talked about that this morning in the message, the manner in which we are accepted by God, not by works, but it's simply through faith, you know, in the Lord Jesus Christ and by the grace of God that we're saved. So, but we're in Christ. These people were in Christ. They were as saved as anybody else. But notice how he describes him. He says they are babes. You know, you go over to the nursery and find a little baby in there. That baby is just as human as you are, but it's not developed. It's still a, it's still a baby, right? But it's human, you see. And uh, he's saying to them that you are in Christ, but you're babes. Now, notice the result. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, and neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? In other words, just as though he's asking them, after telling them what the problems are, he asks them the question, is that not evidence that you're still carnal, that you haven't developed, but rather that you're walking according to the flesh instead of according to the Spirit? So this is the problem in that church, and it's the problem with a lot of people today. They are Christians, they've been saved, but they're still babes in Christ. And he said, I had to feed you with milk. Well, what is the milk of the Word? The milk of the Word is those... You know, those basic fundamental things that I I talked about this morning, those basic truths. But we've got to realize there's more to the Bible than that. And when we're dealing with people that are unsaved or people that are new converts, for example, we need to deal with those basic fundamental doctrines of the Bible because everybody ought to be well grounded in those things. So that's important that we do that. But it's important that they develop that we can go on beyond that. And a lot of people never get to the place. For, for example, you could, you know, a preacher could talk about Romans chapter number seven 
And, and I can tell you right now, if we talk to next Sunday morning, if I preach on Romans chapter 7 and really delve into it and just, I mean, got down to the meat of the Word and look back at chapter 6 and all of those things there, uh, there would, would be some folks, even though they're saved and maybe members of the church, there'd be some folks that would be absolutely so thoroughly confused that have no idea what we're talking about. Now, I'd like to think that everybody would. I'd like to think maybe I could break it down and make it, you know, so easy to understand that everybody would get the message. But I'm telling you, there's some deep things when you come to the Word of God. Go to Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 11 if you don't think there's some deep things hard to be understood. And, and as Christian people, we ought to have a desire for the meat of the Word instead of just spending our life with the milk of the Word. Now, here's why. Because as Christians, we ought to be disciples. That a disciple, and we live in a day and an age where people, I think, have all but forgotten what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is a learner, a follower. We might call him a student, but the very best word for a disciple, I think, is the word apprentice. It's somebody that learns and somebody that is following a teacher that and, and they do so for the purpose of putting into practice what they learn. You know, back years years ago, whether you was a plumber or whatever, or the plumber, the electrician, all of them had an apprentice. It was somebody that worked with them, that learned from them, and then they turned around and did the same thing. We ought to be disciples. It's not enough for us to just know that we're saved and that we're going to heaven but we need to be teachers of others. Look in Hebrews chapter number 5. And here we see this same matter being addressed. Chapter 5 and verse number 12. Let's start there. For when the time, when the time, when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again. Had a church member some years ago just absolutely uh, was emphatic about the fact that God never intended for him to teach. He his statement was he says I am very deep in the scriptures. <laughs> Whenever you hear somebody say that, you know it's kind of like somebody bragging about how how humble they are. You know, I'm really deep in the scriptures, but, but I'm not a teacher. God never called me to teach. And I reminded him of this. Listen, every Christian ought to become a teacher. I mean, if you're a parent, you're a teacher, right? You should be. So notice, he says, the time has come that ye ought to be teachers. Here's the problem. You have need that one teach you again, which first, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. That's what we were talking about this morning, those basic fundamental truths. And he says, whenever you ought to be teaching others, you, you just don't get it and you, you are in need of somebody teaching you these basic principles again. Notice, and are become as such that have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. 
But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, Boy, I'm telling you, uh, I hope you let that sink in. Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ? He's not saying that is unimportant, but he's saying there's more to the Christian life than that. Leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. That, That word perfection speaks about maturity, completeness. Let us go on unto maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, what, what Paul says there is true of absolutely every immature believer. But the thing of it is, a lot of people naturally, they get saved and all of us start out as babes in Christ. Sometimes you hear of somebody being saved when they're 80 years old. Isn't that wonderful? You know, well, yeah, it's wonderful that they got saved regardless of what age they are. But you think about all of those years that they could have been serving the Lord. But the fact is, regardless of your age, the day you receive Christ as your Savior, you start out as a babe in Christ. And it's clear that God expects us to grow and, and, and he expects us to continue growing throughout all of our life. So regardless of how many years that you've been saved, there's still room for growth. Remember, Christ is our example. And there's not one of us that can say that we have arrived. None of us are like him yet. And we're not going to be exactly like him as long as we are in this body, as long as we are on this earth. We are not going to be like Christ, but we ought to be growing in that direction all of our life. That's God's plan for each and every one of us. And it goes right back to what he says here in Romans, that God intends for us to grow. Well, so what happens when we don't? God initiates things that promote growth. In other words, whenever we don't do what we should, and by by the way, there are things that we can do to promote spiritual growth in our life. For example, we can study the Bible. You're not going to grow as you should if you don't study the Bible. You ought to pray. You're not going to grow as you should if you don't pray. Get involved in Christian service. That'll help your spiritual growth. You'll begin to mature as you learn by doing hands-on experience. But, you know, and if we don't do those things, we're not going to mature. But the thing of it is, there are people that have been doing those things and still have not matured as they should. And sometimes something else is needed, and that's when God steps in and God initiates something something we would never choose for ourselves. And God brings something into our life that's going to change us. Look in the book of James, chapter number 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. And please understand that word temptations means a lot more than enticement to sin. You know, we use the word temptation normally in regards to a temptation by uh, towards sin. We're being enticed to sin. 
but it means any kind of a trial, tribulation, difficulties, affliction, whatever it is. And notice he said, count it joy. Well, I've got to tell you, that's just the opposite of what I really want to do, right? I I mean, whenever you're having all of these problems, he says, count it all joy. Well, you you can't rejoice because of the problem per se, but we can always rejoice in the product of the problem. And that notice what he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. I'm telling you, that's kind of scary, isn't it? The trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that is, full, complete work, that ye may be perfect, or that word is, full, complete, mature, and entire, wanting that is lacking nothing. I said God initiates things that promotes growth. You've heard people talk about experience is the best teacher. And there's a lot of truth to that. You know, we learn uh, some things from experience that we would never learn any other way because we can gather all of the information in the world and we can talk in theory. But it's a whole different ball game whenever we find ourselves experiencing something for ourselves. We've talked about it. We've heard others talk about it, but we've never gone through it. And boy, there is a big difference in talking about it and going through it. You know, as a pastor, I can remember uh, starting out preaching funerals and, uh, you know, I'd never lost my mom or my dad or my kids or anybody like that. And, and, you know, I could stand before the grieving family and uh, I'll never forget that very first that very first funeral of a young man, 16 years old, killed in a car wreck and uh, a sad time. But all I could speak from is the truth of Scripture and that's well and good. But to be empathetic toward a person like that is another thing because... Boy, when you've been through something, it gives you a whole different perspective on it, you see. And our character is forged on the anvil of experience. And God knows that better than anybody does. And so there are times that regardless of how much we learn about the Word of God, God knows that we need more than that learning experience. And He forces us. I like to think that that he allows us the privilege of going through things that we don't have enough sense to ever choose for ourselves. These things that we so desperately need that would help us so much toward maturity are things that that we'd never say, well, you know, I hope this happens or that happens. No, it's the things that we don't want to happen, you see. We want to be in good health. We don't want to lose a loved one or anything. But God uses adversity to advance us in our spiritual life. Now, here's the key. Rather than get angry about it, rather than, you know, us viewing our afflictions as weapons used against us to destroy us, we need to think about them as God's instruments to develop us. Because that's what God's doing for His children. He's seeking to develop. 
develop us. Now, you know, somebody says, yeah, but how could God, how could God, a God of love, treat his own children like that? It's because God sees the big picture and we don't, folks. And God's trying to bring us to a place that we could never get to. And the only way it can happen is for us to experience things that we would never choose. Right? So God initiates these things. He takes the initiative to set certain events in order to to accomplish something. And then also, thirdly, actually lastly, God informs us as to the purpose of our trials. Now, don't misunderstand that. When I say God informs us as to the purpose of our trials, I'm not saying that he gives you an answer to every why question that, that, that you have. And although, you know, many verses speak about this, this subject, why this, why me, why now, I don't think any section of Scripture speaks more eloquently of it than the book of Job. I remember my mother, and I've told this so many times, mother talking to a neighbor about her favorite book of the Bible, the book of Job. I didn't even know there was a book of Job. And if I had seen it written out, I would have thought it was the book of Job. I had no idea. I'd never read the Bible in my life. And so that didn't mean anything to me, her saying that's her favorite book of the Bible. But, you know, I always wondered about what what would make it the favorite book of the Bible. Like, I I know there's more than one book in the Bible. The Bible is just a book as far as I was concerned. And even when I got saved, I never... I never forgot about that statement my mother made, and I had uh, no idea what the book of Job was all about. So I did what every Christian ought to do, and that's to spend some time studying the book of Job. One One of the things I really... The fact that I lost my old Bible, and, uh, and I say I lost it. I don't know. Brother John shipped it off. It's in New York somewhere. They're trying to restore that thing. And because my, my notes in Job, I don't have any other notes written anywhere on the book of Job. They're, everything's just written very small in, in, in the margin of the Bible there. But I'll never forget going through the book of Job on Wednesday nights over in the other building and never used any notes intentionally. And I went all through that, and it was one of the greatest blessings of my life just to go through that wonderful book and uh, look at the experience of what that guy went through. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't answer all of the why questions. You, you ever think about it? We want an answer why. You couldn't live by faith. It's impossible to live by faith if you've got all of the answers. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. The Bible says for without faith it's impossible to please God. We, we wouldn't be living by faith if God said, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give you all the answers. I'm going to tell you everything I know. Well, in the first place, being the emotional creatures that we are, we couldn't handle that. So thank God that He doesn't reveal all of the future to us. So we don't find all of the answers in the book of Job, but it does give us some helpful insight, and that is extremely important. It tells us 
to what end the trials were for. There's not a reason given for all of them, but it tells us what the ultimate end of the trials accomplished. Job said in chapter number 23, I believe it is, let me look here, chapter 23, and this is Job speaking, and it says in verse number 10, but he knoweth, they're talking about God, God knoweth the way that I take. Aren't you glad? Sometimes we're going through something and we think to ourselves, nobody knows. Remember the old song, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Yeah, that's the way we feel. No, nobody could possibly know. And there's a lot of truth to that. You never know how another person feels. We better be careful about judging other people because you don't know how they feel. And, uh, and, and let me tell you, it's not a pleasant experience to learn to stop judging people like that. It can hurt. Job said, he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now think about that, putting the gold in the fire and purifying the gold and, and making, it, making it something better than what it was. And I want you to notice something really important because when you go back to chapter 2 and verse number 3, it reminds us that Job's suffering was not caused by any particular sin. Chapter 1 in verse 1, it, he, notice how he's described here. He's perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Wow! Try your hand at finding somebody else like that in all of the land. I just doubt that you could find anyone else like Job. He was one of a kind. He was on the top of the list. He was as good as man could get at that time in history. So obviously, Job is not being punished. I wish I had time to talk about Job's friends, those three friends that came and camped out around him for the next seven days, day and night. Those guys sat there, supposedly friends, but they sat there judging him about something that they've never been through themselves. And they basically concluded, well, Job, there's got to be something in your life that's not right with God. I mean, there's got, it's got to be that you're being a hypocrite about something. There's some hidden sin, and because of that, God is punishing you. Well, obviously, Job's not being punished. And yet, that did not spare him from pain. Think about that. All of the suffering, think about losing everything you've got. Your entire family is gone. I mean, all except the wife at that time, and she's trying to get him to commit suicide and so you couldn't get in much worse condition than what Job is in and yet there's there's absolutely nothing on his record to indicate that God is punishing him for some sin in his life. The purpose in Job's suffering had to do with change. God was working to bring about a change in his life and the pain was a part of the process. Now remember, we've been talking about pain and spiritual growth. 
Remember what James said about, you know, our trials and take joy in our trials. Why? Because ultimately they produce patience. Patience is a Christian virtue. I mean, that that's something that ought to be evident in the character of each and every child of God. And that's something that is developed over a period of time as we grow spiritually. And so here we find God doing the work in order to change Job. That tells us a very important thing about God. God is more concerned about your character than he is about your comfort. We get overly concerned about our comfort, right? I mean, we all like to be comfortable. We've all got our comfort zone, and, you know, whether it's a lazy boy recliner or sleep number bed or whatever it is, you know, we all like to be comfortable. But God says, my chief concern is about your character. And if you and I, if our main concern is for comfort ahead of character, we're going to resist and resent our trials. You see, if my priority is different than God's priority, then I'm not going to have any tolerance for trials. I'm not going to have any any appreciation of my uh, adversity. You know, I'm going to get bitter. I'm going to get cantankerous. I'm going to complain about everything. And by the way, that can happen to absolutely any of us because none of us are exempt from the possibility of getting confused and depressed and angry. It can happen to anybody. Some of the very best Christians sometimes just reach a place of, of depression that, boy, You don't just bounce back the next day. It's a process of getting through that. And the story of Job is so complex that there's so many different things that we could talk about. And in some ways, after it's all said and done, it's like it raises more questions than it answers. And that's all right. I mean, that's what it's intended to do, to raise all of these questions in our mind. And I can't answer all of those questions, and God refuses. You want, you want an answer, and God's not talking. And so, um, even if God said, well, I'll explain it to you, son, I couldn't really understand it. Because, you see, God's working towards something that goes even beyond the grave and out into eternity. Amen. And I can't fathom that. I, I just, uh, I have a sermon I preached a few years ago called Training for Reigning. And sometimes we don't take that into consideration. It's not all about what God's trying to make out of you now. It's what you're going to become you know, ultimately, we're going to become like Christ. But there's this process that we're going through in this life where we're subjected to these painful things that's all a part of God's plan in order to to mature us, to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in some way known only to God, all of that's going to come into play out there in eternity. And and you've probably heard me talk about the fact that, you know, the Bible talks about we're going to rule and reign with Christ. 
Remember, he's going, to, he's going to rule here on this earth for a thousand years. We're going to be with him here on this earth. We're going to have glorified bodies with the Lord here on this earth and ruling over the nations of the earth. I mean, how does that work? I don't know, except that's what's going to happen. That's basically all I can tell you. God's getting you ready for a ministry after you're dead and gone. Maybe you think, wow, never thought about that. You need to think about that. God's getting you ready for eternity and that process of developing you in order that you can become all that He desires for you to be all depends on your attitude toward the trials that He allows into your life. Somebody wrote a little book 40, 50 years ago. I remember reading it and don't know all the details but it's entitled don't waste your sorrows that's really a good thought don't waste your sorrows you see what can happen is whenever god begins to allow us to suffer and to send something in our life if we're not careful we will resent that and we will resist that and we'll have the entirely the wrong attitude about it and you know what's happening we are wasting those sorrows in other words by wasting i mean we're not benefiting from them like we should and that's why paul speaks about us accepting these things with joy in our heart not because it's pleasant but because of the product that's going to come out of all of that helen keller and let me tell you i would not recommend Everything Helen Keller says, she had some weird ideas about God and and Christ and so forth. But Helen Keller did make a statement that I think is noteworthy. She said, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved well there's a lot to be said for that folks you see it's not the it's not the oak down in the valley sequestered from the storm that's never subjected to the raging wind and so forth that is that is able to survive and to reach its fullest potential it's the one up there on the hill that's you know blown about and as a result of its difficulties the roots go down deep into the ground and it grows and is strengthened and that's why god allows things to come into our life Uh, you know when you're going through trials it's really difficult to try to to measure your spiritual growth I'm not so sure that, that we ought to be do, trying to do that anyway. Something kind of prideful about that. I had somebody, a preacher, bragging to me about, uh, this was a few years ago. He's bragging to me about what a great, and he named what it was. I'm glad he did because I never recognized it in him, but he named it so I would know that he really excelled with this particular spiritual gift. The fact of the matter is, if we receive what God sends our way with the right attitude, 
And instead of getting all bent out of shape and whining and crying about it, if we receive it with joy and accept it as coming from the hand of a loving God, God's promised to bring something good out of it. On the other hand, if we don't, we're going to miss the blessing that God had planned. But when you're, when you're hurting, when you're suffering, whatever the type of pain is, physical or whatever, whenever you're suffering, it's hard to, to realize any spiritual growth in your life. We generally recognize our growth in retrospect. We look back on it. At the time we're going through it, this is so horrible, so painful. I don't understand why God would let this happen. But then we conclude that God's wiser than I am. God loves me more than I love myself. God would not let this happen if it was not for some good in His eternal plan. And we accept it as such. And then we look back on it and we realize how that experience changed our life. Whether, whether you measure the growth in terms of patience, as James did, or maybe it has to do with some of the other Christian virtues. It might have to do with love and joy and peace and things of that nature. The things that the Spirit of God produces in the child of God when we stop complaining about our difficulties and accept them as coming from the hand of a loving God. Pain has a part in your spiritual growth. And there's no way out of it. You cannot grow unless you suffer. That, that's, that's a part of it, folks. And that's a piece of the puzzle. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at another piece of this puzzle. And then we're going to keep looking at them. And then on the last, last evening, we'll put the pieces all together and, and see the outcome of it. If you're here tonight, and I know there are people that have either been through problems or you're going through difficulties, and it's easy for any of us to kind of get the wrong attitude. And and when we do, I think, you know, a good, in fact, Job did, if you'll read it all. Finally, Job got over there. He was so embarrassed by his attitude toward the things of the Lord that finally... Job answered the Lord and said, I know thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. And then he goes on and he confesses. He says, verse 6, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And Job finally got to the point that he was willing to shut up and stop asking questions and complaining and accept what God Allowed, And what happened? And he says, And the Lord blessed Job in the latter end more than in the beginning, and he had twice as much as he had before. Wow. And that's what God has planned for us, folks. That's why it's so important that we, that we learn to be content or whatever it is in whatever we're going through because God's working out a plan. We don't see all of the picture then. It's just a piece in the puzzle. But eventually, we'll understand why. Let's all stand together. 
I love that old song that says, Farther along we'll know all about it. Farther along we'll understand why. And we really will. I'm so thankful that God's not going to leave us in a state of confusion, but rather that He has a a plan, a good plan for each and every one of His children. Let's pray. Father, we thank You tonight for doing those things in our life that we would never choose for ourselves. We thank You, Heavenly Father, for being concerned about not only our salvation and our eternal state, but also being concerned for our spiritual development while we're in this world. We're so grateful that You have such an interest in us. And I pray, Lord, that You would forgive us of our complaints, forgive us of the times that we murmur and the times that we would have the audacity to even sit in judgment of what You allow in our life. And help us, Heavenly Father, be willing to walk by faith, regardless of the circumstances, to trust You, knowing that, that You'll do what, what is right and what is best and most helpful for our spiritual development. Bless each and every one here tonight, and especially, Lord, if there's some person here that's never received Christ as their Savior, I pray tonight that they would see how simple it is that by simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they can become a child of God and have the assurance of their sins forgiven and their home in heaven. May it happen before they leave this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.